Hello, and welcome to episode number 170 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is best-selling author Sarah Morgan. We're going to talk about the unique differences between American English and English English, and how those differences affect her writing. We also discuss what she's working on and what books she's reading. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of The Clockwork Samurai, the steamy new Gunpowder Chronicles novel by national best-selling author Jeannie Lin. Download it today. And we have a podcast transcript sponsor. The podcast transcript this month is sponsored by Renee Adie, author of The Wrath and the Dawn, published by G.P. Putnam's Sons Books for Young Readers, and available in print and ebook. This sumptuous and enthralling retelling of A Thousand and One Nights will transport you to a land of golden sand and forbidden romance. She came for revenge, but will she stay for love? The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy it, though I'm pretty sure you already know, especially if you listen to the podcast between, like, November 15th and now. I also have links to the books that we discuss and any links to specific videos that I mention, like a comedian reading Fifty Shades in various English regional accents, maybe? Yeah, totally. But in the meantime, on with the podcast. So don't worry, you're coming through just fine. That's because I've got a loud voice, probably. Just a and little. British accent, you know. The you British... and it's a and it's a real one. It is real. It is real. So would you please introduce yourself for the lovely people who are listening? I will. I'm Sarah Morgan, um, and I write contemporary romance. And I'm British, just in case you can't tell from. Wait, the so accent. you're 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 in England. I am in England. I'm near London, and it's pouring with rain. Isn't that the law? It, it, well, yeah, it is at the moment. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> Not um, all the time. We have been known to have the sun. That's that orange round thing in the sky. You, sometimes you see it. Occasionally. <laughs> today I'm not seeing it. Today, today we're all about the stereotype. Of course. Grey clouds. clouds. All right, so are you currently drinking tea or is tea imminent? Uh, tea, tea's just finished and tea will happen again after you've gone. <laughs> I heard, and I don't know if this is actually true, but I heard that the power companies in England specifically a lot a larger amount of power at tea time because everyone's turning on the kettle at the same time they do they certainly do that in with with some television programs when they know there's going to be a commercial break because they know everybody's going to rush out and put the <laughs> so yeah that's true actually that's hilarious yeah we're a weird country sarah well we um we're a little weird too don't know if you've noticed <laughs> considering we used to be one of your colonies we're extra large weird <laughs> so we're going to talk about the difference between American English and English English. We are. Because I don't want to say British because Britain includes more than just England, right? Yeah. Because Britain includes Wales and yes. sort of Scotland and Northern Ireland and, yes. Ireland and kind yeah. of Scotland. Though they got... well, I don't know if anyone in Scotland would want to say that. Right. But they got, they kind of got close to being like, yeah, not so much. And then they stayed. I mean, it's sort of like, eh, sort of, sort of. Someone right now who is Scottish is listening to this and their head just exploded. I mean, we have regional differences. Oh, just yes. You would have regional differences. I mean, with in your southern, you know, your southern states, you've got whole phrases and words that are typically southern that northern, your northern Yankees wouldn't be necessarily yes. using. So I guess we're no different in that sense. Oh, no, the dialectical differences and the pronunciation differences in different parts of the U.S. are huge. Like even the Midwest has different vowel patterns. And even within the South, there's no one southern accent. There's like 20 or 30 different kinds. And I know I've heard people from northern parts of England and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wow, that sounds different. They have you ever seen? Hard, yeah, I mean, accents. Accents are a whole new thing again, aren't they? A whole other thing. And, and they can be really hard to understand. E, you know, for, for us as well, a really, really heavy Scottish accent is something that I sometimes struggle to understand. Um, but there we are. <laughs> have you seen the video of this comedian who's, who's reading different passages of Fifty Shades of Grey in different English regional <laughs> accents? Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have to send you a link. <laughs> so... Tell me, when you're writing a romance, which is what you do. It is. Yay. It is. When I'm not on the internet, I write romance. <laughs> so what's your percentage of writing romance being versus, you know, being on the internet versus drinking tea? Is it like an even distribution? Oh, well, 
I, I multitask, so I can drink tea at the same time as both those things. Oh, lucky. Okay. So when you're <laughs> uh, writing a romance, and the book is set in, because a lot of your books are set in London, and the yes. book is set in London, but you know it's going to be read by an American audience, do you have to switch different words? Are there things that you have to edit and take out once it's published in the States? Like, how does that work? Because the languages are not exactly the same. No, they're not exactly the same. Um, and I mean, I, I set my books all over the place, actually. I mean, I wrote for Harlequin Presents as well. And so those, some of those were Italy, um, Greece, all over the place. And I think the, the first thing is that the story comes first. Of course. So you're trying to be authentic to the character. And um, that's the most important thing. And I didn't even really um, think about language until one day my my dad said to me so if you've got a character who has to go up and down a lot of floors do you put them in the elevator or do they take a lift because we we usually say lift you say elevator yes we would we would know that's not one of the words that we wouldn't know I'll come on to that uh, we would know what an elevator is but we wouldn't naturally we'd probably say take the lift right um, of course and so <laughs> I I looked at my dad and I said you know I often just make them take the stairs <laughs> because then it doesn't then it doesn't um, matter either way I just make them take the stairs so I've got a lot of very fit characters so often I avoid without even thinking about it I instinctively avoid um, words that might jar in su some readers because you don't want to pull the reader out of the story and yes you right. want to be authentic yes you absolutely want to be authentic but if it doesn't matter either way I might just not mention it for example here's a big one um pavement we have pavements you have sidewalks that is not the same word it is not and it's 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 significantly different more so than elevator and lift so quite often I just won't mention it at all so I put my characters in mortal peril <laughs> they're just walking in the street they're in the middle of the street yeah and you spell curb differently too right yeah probably yeah we do how do you spell it then like the curb at the end of the sidewalk slash pavement would be c-u-r-b but I've seen it with a k sometimes yeah yeah that's right so I just don't mention any of that and you, you don't have to and actually you know maybe that's too much detail really you want to be getting on with the character's journey and their emotional development you don't want to be thinking about sidewalks uh, but there are some words that I just um I, I think I instinctively avoid there are some differences that don't matter that both countries will have a completely different understanding of but it doesn't matter for example football that's a good one say I say a character played football in college you're going to be thinking one thing my Britain British people are going to be thinking soccer yep but it doesn't matter it won't change the meaning of what you've written it's not going to have a misunderstanding whereas if I say a character is pissed Okay, I'm going to think he's angry. You think he's angry. We think he's drunk. Which and is not is always the same thing. That, then you've completely changed the meaning of the scene. And that's quite important. Yes. Um, now, we do say pissed off. So for us, angry, we can say he's really pissed off. Right. But if we said, oh, he's pissed, we would be, that would be slang for he's drunk. Right. So again, I've got to be careful with, with things like that. <laughs> That is a very big difference. I mean, the only thing that would be different if your player played, your, if your character played football, um, I would be worried if he had brain damage, because you don't have that much of a worry with soccer in college as much as you no. do with playing um, American football. Yeah, your college. American football is much closer to our rugby. Right, except we wear helmets. Yeah, you pads. do. You're sensible, and then they don't all have cauliflower ears, whereas ours all have cauliflower ears. Yeah, but I think you have a lower incidence of traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, cauliflower ears. Yeah, no, and talking of cauliflowers, that brings me on to food. Oh, <laughs> I was... huge differences in food. Oh, I remember when my kids were little, they both adored the Wiggles. So, I have seen the Wiggles like four or five times live. I have watched all of the specials. I saw the original yellow Wiggle and then the temporary new Wiggle and then the, back to the old was it the yellow? Yeah, it was yellow. It was Greg, then it was Sam, then it was Greg. Like, I have, I have deep knowledge of wiggle, wiggle history. But there's one scene where they're going through uh, a platter of vegetables. And they, they said, and there's red and green and yellow capsicum. And I was like, what? That's a pepper. What? Pe yeah. Capsicum? Re oh. Really? Like, I kept rewinding it because I had, I had never encountered that difference.
But actually, we would call it a pepper. We would probably, in, in everyday speak, we'd call it a pepper. But you have a, is it zucchini? Yes. And we have a courgette. Eggplant. I mean, we don't use eggplant. What is eggplant? Aubergine. Aubergine? Yeah. Because it's purple. Yeah, I like that better. That's lovely. Yeah, so we but, don't use eggplant. I think a lot of people would know what an eggplant was. Oh, here's a big one. Rocket. And I don't even know how you... Is it arugula? Arugula, arugula yeah. Oh, okay, we call that rocket, but that's just so different. It's just not true. Rocket? Yeah, so you see, if I put arugula on someone's plate in the UK... It's rocket. I said, would you like arugula? I think they're going to look at me. <laughs> I don't get an answer. <laughs> and it's weird because so much of our entertainment is exported that yes. American English is sort of everywhere. I remember when I was in Australia talking to some Australian parents and, and they, they said it's a really common complaint that when their children start talking, they say a lot of things with American accents because yes. they listen to so much American children's programming. Yes. And I'm like, I can see that being an anxiety because those are yeah. two very different accents. It is. And I think, you know, we think that we speak the same language. And, you know, here in the UK, we're exposed to so much US culture in terms of TV, books, film, yeah. that, yeah. you know, many of your words have become absorbed into our culture, um, and to a lesser extent, probably the other way around. Uh, but there are still a lot of words that are very different. Um, well, it's interesting you talking about children's books, because that's how you and I first got stories. Yes, that's talking. true. Because you did a post on children's books, and we both had boys we've both got two boys different ages mine are ahead of yours but in a way that was interesting because we'd been through the stage that you were at and I was interested to find out whether the books that were really popular here and that my boys really loved would work in the US because often with that younger age group once you get past the picture book stage it's to do with language and rhyme um, and, and so therefore the the language used is really important and one of the books that my um, son really adored was the Gruffalo and I think that that then went on to be big in the US but I don't think it was when you and I originally had the conversation am I right yeah no so way. maybe that book was a hit because of me do you think it was y yes no <laughs> I question am personally responsible all you absolutely all me I mean, wasn't the author named the author laureate of the Donaldson. yeah Donaldson. she was the yeah. I mean we have author laureate or uh, poet laureates she was like the yeah. Most awesome author of the kingdom, right, or something? And The Gruffalo was an amazing book, but it was very popular here before it was popular with you. And it was very interesting to see whether a book that would work with small children here, um, who were just being introduced to language and patterns and verse, would also work with yours. But your son loved it too, didn't he? Oh, he, he loved it. And we have um, on our cable streaming like we have all these programs that are preset that we can watch anytime there's an animated version of the gruffalo Lovely. narrated i'm trying to remember if it's in british english or Amer i'm pretty sure it's in british english i think it's an import but it's lovely and what's interesting is that the Gruffalo, there's four or five of them now, right? Yes, i see them yes. everywhere but yes. that wasn't true when you first sent me the british copy no no so it's totally you it's all you it is me. I, I, I am personally responsible for... Totally get a cut of that. Yeah. The other book that you recommended to my sons was uh, Horrid Henry. Oh, yes. Which yes. I have not seen as much of. But that's fascinating because the author, Francesca Simon, is American. Really? I think. Huh. <laughs> I think, yes. I mean, I think she lives in Britain and probably has done for ages, but I'm pretty sure originally she was American. But Horrid Henry was brilliant. Did your sons find that funny? My older son didn't love it. My younger son adores it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, and that, you know, that's probably true of here because that, that again is going for an older child. So then you're starting to tap into sense of humor as well, aren't you? Yes. Particular sense of humor and whether it works for you or not. Now you just said something that was very British. You said something, something have done. Oh, did I do it again? Yes. <laughs> we had this conversation yesterday because I was trying to explain there is this thing that I have read and heard. And I know that it is a difference between American and British English, but I have never figured out the rule of when you do it. So, um, I would never have said have done. I would have just said have or has. But you add the extra word. You add the complete verb, not just half of it. And I and I can't figure out the rule of when that happens. Well, I, I don't know because after you said that yesterday, I discussed it with my husband and son and they both agreed with you that they would have just said, you know, uh, what was the example you used? The I example was... Um, if someone asks would, you, would you have done that? Had you, if you'd gone to that party, would you have done that? Yes, I would have. 
Right, but it was um yeah, it was uh if would you have gone to the party if you knew she was there? And the the British construction according to this website which of course if it's on the internet it's like 10,000% true. Um would you have gone to the party if you knew she was there? Yes, I would have done. I would have done. Yeah, and but they, also I would, said they would have said yes, I would have. So I think either is correct. It either is correct, but it's a uniquely adding the done. Yeah, is, is like it's a right. it's it's a it's a British thing, and I can never figure out the rule of when you would do that. But well, I'm, I'm also big on rules, so don't ask me. I will not. I don't even know the. I I I should. Um, I should know the names of those verbs because I was an English major and had to study parts of speech. But You're I don't remember. That lecture. I don't remember that. I remember lots of other things, like the lyrics to lots of Wiggle songs. But, but <laughs> I don't. The, those are the important things. Yes, those are the things that I really need to remember. The other thing that I've noticed is that the way that you construct sentences is sometimes different. Yes. The rhythm of the subordinate clauses in British and in British English and American English is very different, but it's very subtle. Yes. And I've noticed. Like for example, over here we have it. We have the the Great British Baking Show because Bake Off is trademarked to Pillsbury, and they 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 own that term. But yeah. you have the Great British Bake Off, yeah. And we have the Great British Baking Show, which is amazing. Thank you for for yeah. that. That's just wow. Okay, we owe you like some baked goods because that show is so great. <laughs> but I've even then I've noticed. Um, just the, the the rhythm of the sentences and the way they talk about things and little tiny words like here we would proof bread but there it's proved yeah it is proof we prove it yeah and we yeah. proof which is a slight slight difference but i was like oh so when he goes on about how things are underproved i'm like did they not sufficient have not have they have sufficient insufficient evidence sounds like a crime yeah like it was under it was underproved like they they didn't mount a good defense poor you piece can't of bread take that one to court. no yeah. and i can't take that one i do love that his name is paul hollywood like if ever there was a dude destined to be on television it is Absolutely. that guy and it's those blue eyes oh lord and mary berry that's yes. just okay. Can you imagine growing up with that name, and then like now it's the perfect name for for what she does? Yeah, she she's kind of an icon here, and she wrote every sort of single Arga Arga cookbook that. Um, oh, is that how you say that? Berry Arga. No, 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 no. Arga. 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 Yeah. Why? What do you say? I don't know. I've never said this word. I've only read it. <laughs> well, it's not an every moment conversation, but yeah, Arga. So, what is an Arga? Well, it's a range cooker. Right, but it, it has a fire in it, right? It's always on? Yes, yes. Because one of oil, the... Yeah, oil, oil, yeah, yeah, it is. I think it was one of the contestants of the current season. See, here in the U.S., we just finished, I think it was season two that was on PBS. And you guys are already on, like, season six. And I'm pretty sure that I was not legally watching parts of season six um, because, well, reasons. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, reasons. Sorry, the BBC. But the uh, one of the contestants was really young, and I think she was from Scotland. And in an early episode, she forgot to turn the oven on because she said, "We have an aga, and it's always on." And I'm like, "How do you? Yeah. How do you always? Why is the oven always on? Isn't that a bad idea?" <laughs> well, it's very warm. My my friend's got one. It means that her kitchen's gorgeous all through the winter. But then in the summer, you don't want your aga on, so she has to cook on something else. Why do you we leave a whole, it? We have a whole. Um, genre in this country that was called Aga Sagas. <laughs> Aga Sagas? Tell me about this. So wait, wait, but why do you have to leave it on? Is it is it gas or is it yeah, electric or is oil. it wood? I don't, I don't have one, so I don't know much about the technical side of them. But yes, I think I think you can get either. But no, no, really, they're oil. Generally, they're oil. And you leave them on because they take a long time to heat up. Yeah, it, you just get slow, steady heat. So you can do things like they have the ovens are different temperatures. So there is something like two, three, four ovens at different temperatures. So you, you've oh, got one. Little compartments warm. and big compartments. Yeah. And you so oh. One you warm plates in and then one that you'd that would be very hot. And one, one year I think my friend cooked her turkey and you can put it in low really early in the morning and it smells delicious. Um, so oh. I don't know. I am no Arga expert, but Mary Berry is the Arga expert. So she knows everything this, about the aga. She does. And there's this, well, she knows everything about everything. Well, obviously, I've seen her. She everything. knows everything. She is the guru. Um, but there's also this 
image of the Argo as being the cosy, comforting country British kitchen. And so these Argus sagas, as they were called. Argus saga. Yeah, sort of, you know, country um, comforting stories. So they're, they're the predecessor to small town contemporary, is what oh, you're yes. saying? But you see, in, in the UK, we don't call them small town contemporary. That doesn't exist. Well, it isn't, I mean, aside from a few major cities, most of England is a bunch of small towns really close together, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we certainly have places that perfectly fit small town contemporary, but as a genre, if I tap somebody on the street and said, do you read small town contemporary? And they're like, what? They, they'd look at me very as strangely as if I went up and offered them a plate of arugula. <laughs> and I also know that in, um, speaking of genres or talking of genres, um, there's no, there's not as much negative correlation to the term chick lit over there as there is here. Is no. that true? Yeah. Because I things are still marketed and described as chick lit. Yeah, I, I think, I think that is true. And I think we have a particular type of packaging for that here with the kind of Oh, cartoony. I mean, we do, we, we've, you and I have had this discussion before, but you know, our, our covers tend to be more illustrative, whereas yours are, uh, usually more photographic, not always, but we definitely go down the illustrative cover more for the chick lit type of book. So your um, covers in the US are photographs, but your covers in England are drawn illustrations that are sort of cartoony, but they're not like, yeah, they're not they're like the cartoon work. covers we had. They're just, they're just four color illustrations. Yes, they're artwork. That's right. Yeah, they are. They are illustrations. They use an illustrator. Yeah. Uh, interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> So Mary Berry is the the Aga Saga. She is champion. And real real resurgence in cookery, you know, because of, of that program. Everybody's baking, but of course the problem is when you bake, which is all very lovely and comforting, you then want to eat it at the end, don't you? No, you gain a lot of weight. <laughs> I always love when they're like, "Your showstopper needs to be a piece of bread that's twelve miles wide, <laughs> giant carbs, shaped as a giraffe." With a yes. <laughs> I um I've noticed that a lot of young people here because we have all the the cooking competition shows that are the thing about the Great British Bake Off baking show is that it's not very cutthroat like there was one scene in the season I was watching where where one of the contestants said something that could possibly have been misconstrued as criticizing another person and the reaction of the woman behind her was <gasps> like you don't ever you you you're all super super nice and supportive whereas here there's like cutthroat kitchen like we'll kill you when you're done it's a very comforting program yes. it's as comforting as what they're making it's all about comfort yes it is very comfort television yeah. you know and here we have like okay so gordon ramsay has two shows here one is um i think it's master chef oh yeah and he's really cranky like he describes yeah. food as like this looks like this looks like gandhi's flip-flop <laughs> but that's his usp isn't it i mean that's what he's that, that's, that's his style. Persona. I mean, it's probably him, but it's certainly the persona that he's um, he presents to the world. If you and like then that. he that's does, but he also does Master Chef Junior, which is all kids. All right. And when that, I remember when that show was announced, people were like, "Oh my God, he's going to be so mean!" mean? No, mean he's so sweet. Oh, like he cry. gives this really gentle criticism, and when he praises someone, he says, "Oh, you. This reminds me of something my son made for me. I feel so warm and happy inside." And I'm just like, "I'm going to cry because Gordon Ramsay." <laughs> so there's this sort of with the kids shows. There's this. Mm -hmm. Sort of comforting element and so my my younger son is like I want to learn to cook I want to learn to bake and it's it's one thing to be like okay here's a 10 inch chef knife let's cut some meat whereas with baking it's not as many sharp implements so it's a little easier to teach kids I think so what other differences have you had to manage with your with your books are there things that you like you just all right I just have to scrap this scene altogether there's no way to make it fully bilingual or do you just do two editions of different things no not at all no it's one edition and most of the time I don't even think about it I really don't I write the story and then afterwards I might think oh here's another one sick now this is an interesting one because some of the some of the differences are very subtle so you'll say are you sick Yes, Meaning, my son Ill? is my my son is homesick today. Right. If you said my son is sick here, we'd assume we'd stand back because he's going to vomit. <laughs> but 
<laughs> so we would say ill. So that's quite, again, a different, but, but my husband pointed out when I was talking to this, that we might ring and say, I'm off sick today. So we do use that phrase. So again, the differences are quite subtle. And that's where, really, you have to be a native to know the subtle differences. And I was thinking about that too, because because I write for Harlequin, they have obviously massive global reach. And I'm, I get letters from Italian readers and French readers. And sometimes all I can do is stick it into Google Translate. And usually I, I'm too scared of using the wrong word, whatever Google Translate says, to risk it. So I usually just reply in English and hope that they don't mind. Because sometimes you can say something that you think is fine, but used in that context, it's incredibly rude or insulting. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I do remember saying something online once that another blogger said to me was very insulting. And of course, it wasn't in my language, but in their language, it was insulting. So I took it off, I took it down and I stopped being so brave. Never again. So you <laughs> well, I remember, I remember, I think it was last year, the year before, um, Weird Al Yankovic, re Yankovic released a song, and I think it was um, something about bad grammar, and he used the word spastic. And here, that's that doesn't carry any neg any negative okay, connotations. But here, that's rude. Deeply, yeah. deeply, deeply rude. Insulting. It's like yeah. um, for us, the word retarded. Yeah. Deeply rude and insulting, and should yeah. not be. It's it's one of those words that's like, all right, a majority of people find it super insulting, and we're still mm -hmm. trying to weed it out of common use among everyone because it's so hurtful. Yeah. But I I there were people who were like, oh God, I loved that, and then he said spastic, and I just couldn't listen anymore, and I was like, wait, what? why like I had no idea yeah. that that were and and I can see why that's an easy thing to trip over because you don't yeah. know that 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 one word has so much negativity with it wherein whereas I don't even think I've had any reason to use the word spastic at all like that's no. just not even part of the vocabulary not even as a pejorative but that's interesting you see because when you're on I mean that's all right in a book when you're writing because somebody will pick that up yes um and you know at copy editing stage someone will say you can't do that right but sometimes copy editors do really really good stuff yes they do they do bless <laughs> them goodness. everyone they do bless every copy editor but you might if for example if you were very vocal online you might very easily say something that was offensive to someone else in a, in you know with and you don't mean to at all because in your country it's totally fine right it's like uh like cursing in another language it yeah. doesn't if i if i start dropping french canadian curse words in new jersey yes. no one has any idea what i'm saying but if someone who's from Quebec overhears me like, whoa, you just dropped like five F-bombs. What is your problem? I tell you somewhere that language did have <clears throat> an impact. And that's, I, I started off writing medical romance. Right. Because now, you're, you're a former, you're a former nurse. I am. I am. I worked in the ER for my sins, which means I'm very good at clearing up sick. And I mean the sick, not <laughs> the sick, sick, ill. <laughs> sick and blood. My specialities. Oh. So you had to deal with doctors who knew everything. I did. And so you get to write romances where the doctors get their comeuppance. I did. And, and you know, that was one of the reasons that I started it, because I got so fed up with hearing doctors say the wrong thing. I thought, oh, I can write this and put the right words in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a doctor at one point um, who said to me that he thought that um, my books should be mandatory reading for medical students on how to talk to patients. Which <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. I know. It was. It was lovely. But those terms, I mean, those really, that language difference is major because our entire hospital system is different to yours. Oh, uh, just, a, just a little bit. Exactly. Just and so little. that was, I know that at the beginning when Harlequin, I mean, obviously the medical romances have never been um, big in the US. Which is a shame because I happen to love them. But I know, anyway. do you know what, they are really, po I, I get a lot of letters from readers and actually I get letters from readers who don't mind at all that the language is different. It's almost like they're stepping into another country and they're quite interested. So there is, that I mean that's works. another interesting topic, do you mind, is it quite kind of nice to, to see what other people do? But at one point when Harlequin brought out some digital, it was a few years ago, it's not now, they actually started the book with a glossary, um, so that readers who were completely stumped by the fact that we don't have interns, uh, that kind of thing, they, they were able to at least explain the hospital hierarchy so that it made more sense to people.
So you don't have the same doctor training levels, like you don't have interns and residents and... Yeah, we do. They're called different things, actually. They, they're just the, the titles are different, really. Oh, what are the titles? Well, and, and that's all changed now as well. But we have, we used to have things like house officers. When I was writing originally, we had things like senior house officers and house officers, which would be newly qualified doctors. That sounds like something out of Hogwarts. Which would have been your, yeah, would have been your interns. Right. And it's all changed now. And I mean, I don't write them anymore, so I'm horribly out of date. But, but definitely our, we have consultants. What's your sort of top doctor called then? Oh, I think uh, chief resident, I think. Right, okay. Top. So we we would have a consultant, you know, our consultant is our kind of top person. That makes sense. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But even, are even the procedure terms different? Um, some of them, but also the way in which we consult, we have GPs. So our family doctor is almost always our first port of call. Whereas I think if you had a problem with your child, would you take them straight to the pediatrician? Yes. Okay, pediatrician well, and general practitioner are child. For me, my kids have a pediatrician. I have a GP but he would not see my kids until they were adults. Okay, so we cannot go straight to the consultant. Everything for us goes through the family doctor. And then they refer you and to they someone will, else. If they can't handle it, they refer you. So they will try and handle it themselves, manage it themselves. If it's outside the scope of their Ability. capability, then they will refer you yeah, to, to, to a hospital doctor. But you, don't, you also don't say the hospital or a hospital, you just say to hospital. Two hospitals, a hospital. I might say both. I might yeah. say either. Yeah, yeah. But, but if I like, if my one of my relatives is sick and they're in the hospital, you would say, "Oh, so and so is sick. He's in hospital." I would say he's ill, Sarah. You're saying he's sick, unless he's barfing. Oh, <laughs> sorry. All right. So, my uh, my my great uncle. I don't actually have a living great uncle, so I won't virtually in sicken him. But you know, my great my great uncle is very ill and is in the hospital. But you would not say the the all the time, right? You would say no, in I would hospital. Say my, my uncle's in hospital. That's right. right. There's no the. He's ill in hospital. Yeah. You you are just all ready to tweet. You just you just drop words, so everything you say is under That's 140 right. characters. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Except actually, I'm quite verbose, so that doesn't fit, does it? <laughs> I struggle on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 whole I don't have a limit on DMs now. Like direct messaging doesn't have a character <laughs> limit. I'm like, oh my god, I could write a whole book in here. You could write War and Peace. And it'll be fine. <laughs> Whoever gets that message is going to be like, oh god. Oh, why did this have to happen? But if you're reading a book set in the UK, does it bother you that the English is different or are you quite fascinated? You know, it's funny you should mention it because I am reading a book that comes out at, so we're recording this on the 17th of November and I'm pretty sure this book comes out on the 30th, but it is called Act Like It and it's by, I want to say Lucy Parker, but I'm not entirely sure exactly who the author is. I have to go back to the home screen because it's, it's an arc, so it doesn't have all the information built in. Right. Um, act like it is covered up by the banner that says personal buggers. <laughs> so we'll never know. Never know. All right. We'll never know. Although I have to say saying bugger is, and, and wanker, A, it sounds, I, it sounds weird in an American accent, but it's also very satisfying. Bugger. <laughs> wanker it's not very polite you do no, know that too. i do know that it's not polite yes that i knew this is act like it by lucy parker oh. so you know this you you might really like this one it takes place in london and the heroine is a stage actress and she's in a play with um with this guy and he's i'm trying to guess if there's a way to explain quickly who he is or wh who he's based on he's like he's really grumpy he doesn't like publicity he doesn't like dealing with fans he, he he's he's very focused on be on being a, an, an incredibly famous good actor he looks down on television and um he gets set up for a fake relationship with his co-star because it's better for the show and then his um it'll be better for his goals which he wants to be president of this um you know, Royal Dramatic Actors Association or something. I forget the acronym. So he has to work on his public image by pretending to date this woman. And she gets sort of like a boost in exposure because she's dating this super famous guy. Um, but the language is very, very British. Like even, yeah. even the sentences 
the the way that sentences are constructed is very subtle and very it, it's it's so interesting let me see because the problem when you're reading a personal file you have to bookmark where you left off because it won't auto automatically remember and does that work globally do you think i mean does a general u.s audience i'm trying to work think about authors who really work globally regardless i mean obviously nora roberts comes to mind um my dog disagrees with you your dog disagrees. Yeah, Zeb is barking, and he says there's no global audience. That's wrong. I think he's incorrect no about this. He's wrong about that. He's totally wrong. I'm trying to come up because I, I saved a bunch of um, – I made a bunch of bookmarks so that I could bring up an example. So I'm oh, trying good. to find one. Um, so here's an example. West End ticket prices are daylight robbery. Daylight yes. robbery was not a phrase – I mean, I know what it means – but for us, that would be highway robbery. Oh, well, of course, because now we're back to the differences between roads. I've got that on my list. Oh, there's so differences we between roads. You we have freeways, and then there's the interstate, um, and yes. you don't have roundabouts. We do. I mean, like, I've driven on them, but that's not what we call them. They're, they're circles. Oh, are they? Yeah, so, like, that's there's cool. one near me. But I grew up on a street with a circle or a roundabout. And so I knew, you know, I've always known how it works. Like the person who's in the roundabout has the right of way. But, okay, I will say that when we were driving in Australia, and if I've been in a taxi in, in England, because you drive on the other side of the road and the driver's on the other side of the car, the roundabout just about gave me a coronary. Yeah. I was not prepared because you're going the different way. And, the, and I'm just like, this is terrible. Let's never Very drive well. this. Let's just go around it. Like, even if we have to leave by a mile or more, let's just not go around the roundabout. But like, I have one near my house and I'm, I'm used to it, but it's not called a roundabout. It's a circle. Oh, oh there we are. I've learned that one. Right, that day. But also I've noticed, for example, um, before everyone had a GPS on their phone, you used to be able to get cars that had onboard GPS that were you know, in the dashboard. So my husband has a Prius that's about 10 years old mm. and the GPS speaks Californian. Yeah, we've got the same. So, you know, um, turn on to the freeway. We don't have a freeway in New Jersey. We have Interstate 95 and we have the Parkway. And the Parkway is a road where there's tolls every so many miles. So you have to drive through a toll booth every so many miles. And so we have the parkway and we have 95, which is an interstate, but we don't actually use the word freeway. Freeway is much more used in California. Okay, that's interesting. So when I would, um, at one point I had misset my GPS to avoid toll roads and I couldn't figure out how to take it off because everything is a toll road. Like the, we all have the little, the little box, the little easy pass, mm -hmm. like every road that I can drive on that's through the whole state that goes north south anyway is a road that you like I would pay a toll to get on get here's the here's the horrible thing when you live in New Jersey we're like little and we're surrounded by other states and we're very very close to Philadelphia and to New York and so there's a lot of travel in and out you have to pay to get out of Jersey and it is free to come <laughs> back in so you have to pay a toll, like $14, $15, $19 to go over the bridge in New York. You have to pay to escape. It's escape. Free, but it's free to come in. And I'm still a little peeved about that. But we don't have a freeway. That's hilarious. But your motorways, are they called that because they all have M in the name? Yeah, well, they yeah, the M is because they're a motorway. Yeah, and then we just have A roads, which are bigger, and... B roads, which are tiny, and anything smaller than that, you don't want to try it. Right. So here's another example of British that I thought this is this is a, this is a line in the book that I thought this person, even the description in the dialogue, sounds very not American. But I'm also given to understand that you're aiming to take over the presidency of the RSPA in the December by-elections. And frankly, she said, with a distinct air of a poker player producing an unexpected ace, if you don't make some small effort to improve your PR profile, not a chance in hell would be an equal description of your shot at the chair. Now, I hear that and rhythmically and some of the little phrases sound so British to me, like that person is not American. No. But it's super subtle. Like I'm given to understand. Like that is something that I that I don't ever hear anyone say. No. Um I'm not sure I'd say that either. That's quite formal. It's very formal. But that is I quite I also think that because these two characters are stage actors, I'd say I believe, I think. Yeah. I think that in turn um So here's here's the next paragraph. 
He, in his turn, was the player who had rested in smug confidence on a hand of two pair and now found it wasn't enough to take the round. Now, that is so subtly not American to me. Yeah, but I haven't got a clue what that means because I don't know. Is that poker? Poker language, right. Okay. I'd be hopeless at poker. I've never bothered learning because you can read everything on my face. I am completely transparent good to know i will keep that in mind yeah yeah I don't but see that some of the little phrases in this book i'm like okay these people are not american and you asked earlier you know do people mind language difference i really do not mind i think for me as a reader i i am right you're he wrong mind either. come here come here Hello. You want to say hi? Can I pick you He's up? He's talking to us. Now, there we are. There's another one. You'd say talk with, wouldn't you? And I'd say talk to. Can I come and talk to you? Can I talk to you about something? Oh, no, that's say, totally. I would say that. Absolutely. Oh, would you, Ab you say with then? Talk with. You say with sometimes when we would say to. I'm sure you do. I would say it about two people who aren't me. So Adam's going to go have a talk with our son about his behavior. That I would say talk with about two people who aren't me. Mm, but you okay. would still say talk to. Talk to. Yes, probably. But obviously you understand the other one. Here's the other thing. I mean, historical romance. You read a lot of British set historical romance. Yes. And then you're in, I mean, you're in a, in a way you're creating a different world, aren't you? So then you expect, and you watch a lot of Downton Abbey, don't you? You love Downton Abbey. I had to stop because Julian Fellows kills people. Oh, I know. I had to stop. He's so like, he's yeah. like George R.R. R. Martin. It's miserable, isn't it? Are they the same person? I think they are. I, I think, think George R.R. R. Martin and Julian Fellows are the same person. Well, that's why he's taking so long to write the next Game of Thrones. That's right, because he's writing Downton Abbey. Like that now. Abby in the middle. Seriously, he just, he just, uh, uh, he, he, there's too much killing people. I know, it went through a very miserable phase and I gave up on it then. I, I, I had to give up on it and I mentally gave them all a happy ending. Everyone is very, yeah. very happy. Uh, they're all happy. You, do you remember earlier in the first season, I think it was the housekeeper had a chance to reconnect with someone from her youth and she didn't go off with him and she stayed at Downton. In my in my canon, she is the best, happiest person, and she is far yeah. the hell away from those miserable people. So yeah, I, I I remember watching a lot of Downton Abbey in the first season, and I do read a lot of historical romance. But most of the historical romance I read is a lot of it is written by Americans, and it does not sound British. That's interesting. But when I when I really want the language of the story to be part of the world building, like with the book that I'm reading now, which is just, I'm, I am loving how very subtly different the language is because that for me is a form of, of, of world building. Like I yeah. am in London right now with these, with these actors having a hard yeah. time. Um, Jill Mansell is the yeah. same thing because she writes very, very British and she writes in, in England, it's marketed as chick lit, right? Is that, that's, or is it like women's fiction? Or you know, I wouldn't have said, I, I don't really, I'm not very good at these uh, marketing terms. I would have, I would not have said she was chick lit. Um, and she may now email me and, and ask me what on earth I'm talking about. I would have said she was, she was more, I would have said she was contemporary women's fiction. See, that, um, that fits as well. But even then, she's writing in little towns. And so when you read a Jill Mansell, you get all of the characters. It's very yeah. British. Someone is always having a cup of tea, um, mm. lots of tea. And the, the language and even though the description of what people are wearing, like people will wear jumpers. And I know that's oh, a sweater. That's what mine, you see sweater. Now that's a good example because um, we do say jumper. We don't say sweater. But if you said sweater, we'd all know what you meant. Of course. And so, you know, I read a Jill Mansell novel and all of those little language things are set to British, not mm. U.S. Because it's taking place there, isn't it? In small, in British small towns. Even and the extra U works on me. Like I'm, I'm really easy apparently with contemporary world building because when there's color with a U and favorite with a U, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not in the U.S. right now. There's an extra yes. U. If you're in the UK and it goes back to the story being first and being authentic to the character and if that's where they are and how they would speak, then that's what you should be putting in there. That's the spelling they would use if they were yeah. writing what they were saying. Absolutely. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. So with like, oh, there's writers like Jill Mansell and then there's a, there's a series that, of self-published books um, and I think they're set in a, in a fake town in 
I want to say Cornwall. Well, everything's set in Cornwall, so it probably would be. Right. Is, is Cornwall like your... <laughs> so we have lots of small towns in the south because southerners are quirky. And we have lots of small towns in the mountains because they're pretty. So is that yeah. your, that's your stereotypical Probably. small town setting yeah. in, in Cornwall? Yeah. It's set in this town because called... It's, because it's aspirational, isn't it? That's what people, I presume that's what people are picking up. You know, they, they're in their busy lives in the city and actually they all dream about moving to the seaside. They, they, they want to live by the beach. And um, Cornwall so, is the beach. Yeah. Except yeah, you can't what... swim there, right? Because the ocean will kill you. Right. Well, I mean, it depends. Then it's very beautiful there. North, the North Cornwall coast is very wild. The Atlantic coast, right? Um, but you can swim in it. Well, strong tides. You'd have to be careful. Strong currents, just oh, so as you it's, anywhere. So it's not but like the ocean's going to kill you. Southern Cornwall is much more sort of gentle and estuaries and. Oh, so uh, it's like actual seaside where you sit on the beach and go in the water oh, yeah. and get oh, out. Oh, it's actual day. seaside where you sit on the beach, north and south. Nice. Yeah. Some brilliant swimming. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think that that's why they're so popular because people who can't actually go and live there for practical reasons like to escape there in their reading. Right. It's like a mental vacation. It is. It is like a mental vacation without the traffic jams. Oh, <laughs> yes. Because there's always just one road in and out of those short towns. Yeah. We have, so Jersey is long and thin and there's not a lot of romance set at the Jersey Shore because Jersey Shore was polluted in concept by this television show that was full of people mm. who aren't actually from New Jersey. I feel like I should point that out. Um, most of the people on Jersey Shore are from New York, just so y'all know. But when you, on the weekends in the summer, Friday and Sunday, you stay the hell off the Garden State Parkway because that runs south down along the coast. And there's actually an express and a local so that if you need to just go to the shore, you get in the, you get in the express because everyone knows you're going to the shore points. Because it's every weekend the traffic is crazy. Because there's only one road that goes to a yeah. shore town. Or unless you go by boat. But even with, um, I think it was called Chilton Cross, the, the first one that I read the the heroine see the, the, the <laughs> there's a lot of books where the heroine has to start her life over for some reason yeah, either sure. she gets a divorce or she decides she's not happy or yeah. she inherits something from a from a long yeah. lost relative it used to be back in the 80s there was a will that made you marry someone in yeah. order to inherit but that doesn't happen so much anymore now it's just you um, inherit something and you have to figure out what to do with it so this um, young woman you have to have a reason to you have to have a reason exactly so she inherits her great aunt's house and it turns out there's all this art that her great aunt had painted that no one knew was there and her, her great aunt was a pretty famous artist so there's all of this English small town and then there's the English art scene and then there's going into London and the difference between being in this small town in Cornwall and then going into London and you know cars and cabs and traffic and buses and and, and you know like oh my gosh you have your own parking space and, and it's just the, all of the little subtle differences are all part of the world building and it's it's interesting because those same like you said that same escape is happening in U.S. set contemporary yeah. you leave the city to go to the small town by the shore in the mountains or whatever yeah. the principle the appeal of the book is the same which yep. is this is what I would like in my fantasy life I would like I to live to... as if I were on vacation yeah I, I want to live by the beach yep. um, no actually or I want to live in the mountains <laughs> and if you live in a rural area you know you're nine nine ten twenty many 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 miles miles right you guys use miles right ah yeah now that, that's it that that's something else that's um i thought of that you you well we do say miles but kilometers as well you, right. you're mostly miles aren't you we do not use kilometers no no i actually read this really cool um summary of a book after i heard about it on npr it's called how america kept its foot and if I remember correctly, and I may be getting my history wrong, um, when the UK joined the EU, the condition was, okay, either you adopt the euro and lose the pound, or you go full metric and don't use um, pounds and ounces. You, you, you stop using imperial and start using metric, but it's either one, either keep the pound or you keep imperial, but you don't keep both. And so I think the solution was obviously we're going to keep the pound because you guys use the pound, right? Yeah. So you use the pound, but then you're going to use metric. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting when I speak to Canadians, they're like, oh no, we've been metric since the seventies, but baby weights are almost always in pounds and ounces. 
And I've heard that in, in England, in places that aren't quite near cities, the butcher will list both pounds and ounces and grams and kilograms yes. for, for meat cuts. Yes. You'll see little pieces of it, but it's generally metric. But yeah, we are all imperial mm -hmm. basically because we're loud and enormous. And then there's a lot of us and we have a lot of money and nobody can tell us what to do. So we're going to keep imperial, which I think is really stupid and we should totally be metric. But I'm not in charge. So you don't do 24 hour clock either, do you? No, no, but I. <laughs> I bought a watch when I was traveling in Australia. I needed a cheap watch. So I went to the to the Australian Target and I bought this like $5 watch. And I, I had to teach myself 24-hour time because it was yeah. only 24 hours. And I'm like, what the hell is 1424? I know. 25. Well, I, I forget. And then I was doing something for – I was making a time thing for Facebook trying to translate the time. And I did 14 30, and then I thought, no, 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 you don't do the 24-hour No, it's 2.30 p.m. Yeah, so I had exactly. to teach myself 24-hour time because this watch was in 24-hour time, and it was such an mm -hmm. inexpensive watch. That's the only mode that it has. And it does, oh, it doesn't let you change it? No, I can't change oh, it. because no, normally you can choose. No, it's, it's, it was 24-hour time, and so the kids would be like, what time is it? I'm like, 15.30. And they're like, what? <laughs> so no, we don't use 24-hour time at all. We don't use metric we don't use um, we we use we use your old system, thanks. We use Imperial, <laughs> and we still use that quite often as well, even though it's not official. Right. <laughs> so tell me, tell me, tell me, what are you working on right now? What am I working on? I'm working on the second book in my New York series, which will be out next summer. So when is book one coming out? So book one is out in March in the UK and end of May in the US. It's a June book. So something like the 29th of um, May. It's June book. So, so, so wait, you get it first? Actually, we do this time. Yeah, we do. That is so not fair. You, you get the bake off like four years ahead of us and then you get books like, okay, seriously? No, seriously, I can't complain. We always Actually, it's first. much easier for the author if they do it simultaneously. Much easier. Um, Although sometimes I can buy things from the Mills and Boone website and it doesn't stop me from purchasing yeah. them, which is these nice. These probably, yeah, these probably won't be, but you can get them from Book Depository. I mean, gosh, that's the great thing. Book Depository do free international delivery. And I have How? readers all over the world using them. They're brilliant. How? How? How I are they? I don't know. Wait, I don't know. I mean, imagine. I imagine a person in the middle of a desert island and suddenly Book Depository rocks up with their free international delivery. I think Book Depository is sitting on, like, literally built on a gold mine. So on the top you have book shipping and then someone underneath is digging the gold out of the earth That's to really pay amazing. for it. But it's amazing. It's a fantastic way for them to get hold of it. Um you know, because when I've had books that have been delayed and U.S. readers just haven't wanted to wait, they just get the no, U.K. one. Right. And I mean, we can we can read British. Yeah, we, we know can. how that works. <laughs> so book one, what's it called? Book one is Sleepless in Manhattan, although there is a novella and that will be out before. Oh, what's the novella? Uh, the novella is Midnight at Tiffany's. That's going to be out in April in the uh, U.S. In fact, it's out in a couple of weeks in the U.K. Ooh. I know. We'll have it first. But yeah, but basically the US is coming you out. You suck, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> hey, wait, look, I'm bilingual. That's a very American word, just so that you know. What, you, you suck? suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you, you do the two fingers and we do the one. Yeah. So I can flip you off and use two fingers. Be like, hey, look, I'm bilingual. <laughs> look, I've got all the language. So there's Midnight at Tiffany's. Then there's yeah, Sleepless in Manhattan. Then there's Sleepless in Manhattan. And then there's Sunset in Central Park. That'll be September. And then Miracle on Fifth Avenue. That's um, December. Well, end of November. But yeah. you do really well with Christmas books in the UK, right? Like you, you sort yeah. of have a reputation as a Christmas holiday book author. I, I do a lot of Christmas books. And actually, they sell really well in Europe, in Germany and Italy and France. Yeah, I do. I, I, I like the whole snowy... They're not necessarily, I mean, I do include Christmas, but a lot of readers who don't celebrate Christmas tell me that they still enjoy them. I think it's that festive, snowy, cozy, comforting. It's back to the comfort read again. Yes, it's all about gathering rather than Yeah, it's about atmosphere and family and friendship. You know, I like writing about friendship. Well, in the, uh, the two novellas that you did for the Cosmo Red Hot Read series, yes. with was it wrapped and then... It's it was ripped... But then, just to totally confuse me, they retitled it Unexpected. 
So now it's up on, it's, it's very confusing when they have different titles and even more confusing when they change the title. So wait, uh, it was ripped and now it it's unexpected. Ripped. That's right. They and then the, the, the sister's book was burned. Burned. And w- yeah. what is that one? Aga? No, Aga? That's still burned. That's still burned. It's still- yeah. yeah, something went wrong with the Aga. <laughs> yeah, something went wrong with the Aga and it's all burned. Ah, <laughs> oh, bugger. Yeah, Ripped was the Cosmo. The Cosmo, they were such fun. Those were such fun. That's the only time I've written first person, actually. I really enjoyed it. There was a funny story with that one because I, I was having a bad writing day and I just decided that I was going to abandon what I was writing. And uh-huh. I had this really um, strong picture in my head about this uh, wedding scene. So I thought, well, I'm just going to take the day off and I'm just going to write this. And I wrote it in first person and I made myself laugh the whole day. I had a really, really fun day. Isn't that the best? Yeah, it was really great, actually. And sometimes that's just what you need when you're writing. You you just need need to take a bit of time off and breathe and look look at things a different way. So I wrote this couple of chapters and then I just ignored it and I didn't delete it and I just knew this is why you should never ever delete anything you ever write yes and I it must have been sitting on my machine for two years and then one day my editor rang and she said oh we're we're doing this new um collaboration with Cosmo what do you think and I said well it's funny you should say that take a look (laughs) at this couple of chapters and of course it was first person it was completely different and she got back to me five minutes later and she said I absolutely love it write it so there it was so you see it got used and I loved it I enjoyed it so much who your editor is Flo right oh she is Flo Nickel Flo is wonderful she is lovely very clever very smart now here we are there's another word You'd say smart, wouldn't you? Yeah. Smart, smart to us is you, you're wearing your Armani and you're looking really good. Oh, so smart is well-dressed, yeah, not, not intelligent. No, but I, I've learned to use smart as intelligent because that, that does seem to jar with readers if you get that wrong. Yes, we, um, we don't say learnt with a T. <laughs> okay. Learned, yes, learnt. Learned. No, we say learned. Learn. Yes, There's so. another one that ends in T, and I could. Oh, I figured yeah. out that the no, reason we say I was learned too. That's just me. That's my diction. Well, it's very so, proper. Yeah. So, Flo is smart. She's very smart, and she's excellent. Um, she's really good at looking at the book and knowing what needs to be done. Apart from the fact she's very lovely. Nice. Yeah. And if this is airing in December, it's her birthday in December. But there we are. She may not want to. Um, I won't sing. I won't sing. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, we could always get her on the phone and you, if you want to sing to her. We could. We could, we could. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so tell yes. me about the New York series. So the New York series is um, three friends who's they're, – they're working in Manhattan. They've got a job for an events company. And then it all goes wrong right at the beginning and they lose their jobs. They're laid off. Um, and so they decide to set up on their own. So it's it's fun. It's it's about female empowerment, really. <laughs> no, each story, each girl is different, very different. And their goals are each heroine, I should say, not girl. Um, their goals are different. They each want different things. Their personalities are really different. Uh, so each book is very different. But underpinning it all is their friendship. And I really like that. I love writing about female friendship, actually. I do. I like talking about do they friendship. all uh, Do they all share the same um, flat slash apartment? Yeah, they live in a brownstone. I mean, I do like my nice real estate. What the hell kind of unemployment are they, they getting where they live in a brownstone? I mean, it's owned by her brother. It's owned by her brother. I was going to say, dude. And they've each got, well, they share. They share their apartment. Of course. It frankly has the sort of garden, the garden level, because she is a horticulturist, a gardener. And then Paige is the organization, and Eva is the sweet romantic one. Aw. So I've still got that one to write, but that's going to be such fun. I can't wait for that. That's my Christmas book. That's the next one. I'm nearly there. And you have to write those during the summer, right? No, well, I will start the Christmas one at Christmas, and it helps. But yes, yeah. I am still writing it long after. So it's really, really, really sweltering. Yeah. It's, but I have know. my tree. I have a little fake silver Christmas tree, and Flo has the same. So you have a fake tree that you keep out year-round because you're writing well, Christmas when books? No, and like... only when we're doing the Christmas book to keep our minds focused. That's really when cute. I writing, when, when I was writing my Vermont series, yeah, I sent her this grotto 
So in a cardboard box, I packed up this little silver tree, a moose, um, all sorts of little pine cones and Vermonty things. And I sent it to her. So she set it up on her desk, complete with fairy lights. So I had it on my desk. So we were both seeing the same thing while we were writing and editing this book. Aww. So she gets it out whenever we do a Christmas book. Aw, so cute. So the novella comes out... April. In April for us. Yeah. And like tomorrow for you, because it's not fair. No, no, two weeks. December the December the fourth here. Okay. So yeah. one last question that's really, really difficult. Oh no. What have you read recently that you would recommend? Oh, what have I read recently? Um I love Lisa Claypass, so I caught up with her brown eyed girl. Did you like it? I loved it. I love it. I love I love the way she writes. Yeah, I do. I love her books. She's a really lyrical writer. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And a fabulous person. Yes, that is also true. Just really so warm and lovely. But I think that warmth comes through in all her books. But yeah, she, and she writes the most fantastic heroes, doesn't she? I mean, I'd run oh, off gosh. with every one of them. There isn't a single one of her heroes I wouldn't run off with. <laughs> so you liked Brown Eyed Girl? I did like Brown Eyed Girl. And then the most recent thing I read um, was a time slip, his, um, historical Nicola Cornick. And she's a friend of mine. And this book was very special to me because we've been talking about, we, I would like to say that we plot together, but I'm not a plot, plotter. So I don't quite know what it is we do together. <laughs> she, she listens to me rambling and panicking and I listen to her plotting. <laughs> she's been talking about this book for years. Um, this is her book of the heart, I guess. Um, and it's House of Shadows. So that's just come out here. And it's a time slip because she is a historian as well. Ooh. And so it's, it's um, across three different time periods. And it's really, it's really interesting. And I loved it. The writing's lovely. It's beautiful. So that's what I've read. And uh, what else did I read? Sarah Addison Allen. I love Sarah Addison Allen. See, I read quite a few American authors. You do. I do. I'm, I'm trying to look up when House of Shadows will come out. Oh, Oh, it's not currently available for purchase. Pfeh. Not even in um, not even in Kindle. No, it doesn't. It says not so much. Oh, so it's sixteen hundreds, nineteenth, nineteenth century, and present day. Yes. Ooh. It's really fascinating. So, have you read it? Yes. Did you absolutely. like it? It's beautiful. Yay. Yeah. And um, it's set in a house, uh, a national trust property that's fairly near here. And Nicola's a guide there. So it's, it's very interesting. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. So oh, I was cool. Really it's nice to read things. You know, when you're working on something all day, I don't, I'm not one of these writers that has a rule that I have to read something different. But it is quite nice to read something different. And with Nicola, I mean, we're great friends. But with our brainstorming, because we work on completely different things, I think that actually helps because it's oh, really yeah. fun for me to brainstorm historical stuff because I don't normally do that. So right. it's fun. Um, and equally, you know, she's great at, at, um, at contemporary. So I think it's nice when you've got that that balance really plus when you're set apart from something it's it's a little easier to be creative yes, about it definitely. because it's that there's not as much pressure on you because it's not what you do no it's not what you do and I think sometimes you see things more clearly when it's not what you do yeah exactly absolutely you can see sort of the larger patterns yeah And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Sarah Morgan for taking the time to hang out with me on Skype. The books that we discussed, along with links and fine, fine YouTube videos, will be in the podcast entry on smartbitchestrashybooks.com. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of The Clockwork Samurai, the steamy new Gunpowder Chronicles novel by national best-selling author Jeannie Lin. Download it today. The podcast transcript this month is being sponsored by Renee Adie, author of The Wrath and the Dawn, published by G.P. Putnam's Sons, Books for Young Readers, and available in print and ebook. This sumptuous and enthralling retelling of A Thousand and One Nights will transport you to a land of golden sand and forbidden romance. She came for revenge, but will she stay for love? This podcast features The Holly and the Ivy by Deviations Project, which is producer Dave Williams and violinist Oliver Lewis. Their holiday album is A Death Day Fiddles, and I'm not even celebrating Christmas, and I dig this album. You can find it on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever music is sold. If you have questions or suggestions or you have an idea you'd like to share with us, email 
sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Your email is almost excellent. Future podcasts will include discussions about romance novels because that's what we do here. But in the meantime, on behalf of Sarah Morgan and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>